Okay, so uh, we're continuing in our sermon series, going through the Sermon on the Mount called Kingdom Minded. And so just kind of, again, give a little backstory to this is is uh, Jesus has pulled his disciples up on a mountain. So it's just Jesus talking to his disciples. And he's explaining like, hey, this is what it looks like to be a follower of Christ. This is what it looks like to be kingdom minded. And so if we have repented and believed in Christ, then we're now a follower of Christ. So we need to know what does it look like to now have a mind that's set on things above and follow him. And so now he has been explaining this throughout chapter five and six. And so what he's been doing is over the last few weeks we looked at it is he was giving new commands that we are to follow and obey. So he's been taking commands of old and he's been taking that, getting the true meaning behind it and even elevating it to where we see like Christ is the only one that can live this out. And so we see our need for Christ in order to obey these. And so tonight's going to be one maybe we never thought about a whole lot. We've never thought too much of it. And it's, you shall not take oaths. You shall not take oaths. You shall not swear. You shall not take vows. So what I mean by swearing is not like using curse words, but like you shall not swear. Like, like everybody ever heard the phrase like, oh, I, I swear to God, I'll do this. Right? And I think, I think honestly, a lot of times that we, we hear this so often, or maybe we even use it so often that we don't even realize kind of the, the weight of that. <clears throat> so maybe, maybe there's some of these that you've heard. So you can do it by show of hands. You don't have to worry about it. How many of you have heard like, oh, I swear to God, if this happens, I'm going to do this. Or if this happens, or I swear on my mother's grave that I will do this, that, or the other. Or I swear on my life. I swear on my life. It wasn't me or I'll do this. Cross my heart and hope to die. Like different things like that. Or I swear, just, just as the sun will rise tomorrow, I will whatever, fill in the blank. How about this? What happens, let's say, when we swear we will do something, but then we don't follow through on that oath? How does that look? Bad. Okay. Or about this? What happens when someone swears they'll do something for us and they don't follow through on that untrustworthy okay um yeah we might not trust them this much but but what happens if their swear gets bigger and bigger like they say okay this time i just said i swear i'll do it okay i swear on my life i'll do it and then they don't follow through they kind of lose a lot more credibility don't they but they'll up it again okay i swear on my mother's grave that I, i will do this and they don't they lose a little more credibility Okay, I, I swear, I swear as the, as the sun will rise tomorrow, I'll do this. They don't. Okay, and finally, like, I, I, I swear, I swear as God is my witness, I will do this. And they don't follow through. Then it, it hurts credibility, but it goes beyond something than this. Is Yes, it, it loses trustworthiness, whether it be us or someone else saying it. But when we actually look at the passage um, that we're going to look at tonight, is it goes beyond that, that, that breaking an oath is, is actually a, a sin that we are to look at and, and handle respectively. In fact, we're going to look at how Jesus even goes so much further to say, like, you shouldn't even take any oaths at all. You shouldn't even swear to anything. And, and I think part of that is, is when we swear we're going to do something is we want to be in control over something. Like we want people to, to, to know they can trust us and have control over certain situations. And so we're like, oh, I swear by this, it'll take care of this. Or maybe someone else does that to us. And I think what it shows is we as fallen sinful human beings, we're prone that we want to be in control when we say something like this. But what I want us to see tonight, the main point we're going to see tonight is this. So if you're following along the notes, here it is. The main point is to be kingdom minded is to rest in the sovereignty of God and pursue a pure life in Christ. 
So to be kingdom-minded is to rest in the sovereignty of God and pursue a pure life in Christ. And so that's what we're going to look at. So we're going to be looking at Matthew 5, verses 33 through 37. So if you have a physical copy of God's Word, that's where it'll be. If not, it's on the back side of your notes that you're following along with. And we're going to be looking at how we, are, how we shall not take oaths and kind of how it reveals a lot more about our hearts when we do this. So we're going to be looking at Matthew chapter 5, uh, verses 33 through 37. So let me read that for us. This is the word of the Lord. Again, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by the earth, for it is footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. Let's pray. Dear Lord, as we just come before uh, your word, I pray that you will just, by the power of your Holy Spirit, open up our hearts to receive this truth you have for us. That you'll open up our minds to be able to grasp and understand these and wrestle with these. Um, I pray you'll open up our eyes to see even more of our need for Christ in our lives. And I pray through this preaching of your word that you will, that you will convict us of, of sins we need to confess to you. I pray that you'll encourage us with your word through that. And ultimately, all this will help us grow closer to you. To become more like Christ, conform more into his image that you've called us to be. So I pray that what is preached now, it'll only be your truth and your words that is known. Anything that is in my opinion, that that will be forgotten, that will not take root, but it'll be your truth that takes root in our lives. And by the power of your Holy Spirit, you will bear fruit from that, that continues to help us make Christ's name known. So would you help us in this time? Would you free us of any distractions around us and just to, to focus in on what you have to teach us tonight? I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so we're going to look at is there is two truths that Jesus gives us in this passage of how we are to live out this main point of to be to be uh, resting in the sovereignty of God, pursuing a pure life in Christ. And so the first one is this is swearing an oath assumes control. So swearing an oath assumes control. So again, Jesus starts by the saying phrase again, again, you have heard it was said of to those of old. So he's referring back to, okay, those in the old covenant, under the old covenant with the, those laws, you've, you've heard it said before from them, you shall not swear falsely. And so where this comes from is Leviticus 19, 12, where it says this, you shall not swear by my name falsely and so profane the name of your God. I am the Lord. So it's saying, okay, you're not supposed to swear by the name of the Lord. Because if you do that, you're, you're profaning, you're using the Lord's name in vain. And then he says the second part, okay, you shall not swear falsely, but the next phrase, shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. And so there's a few different references uh, that this points back to in the Old Testament. The first one is in Numbers 30, verse 2, where it says this, If a man swears by the Lord, he shall do everything that proceeds out of his mouth. The second one is Deuteronomy 23, 21 through 23, where it says, If you make a vow to the Lord your God, you shall not delay fulfilling it. For the Lord your God will surely require it of you, and you will be guilty of sin. But if you refrain from vowing, you will not be guilty of sin. You shall be careful to do what has passed your lips. For you voluntarily vowed to the Lord your God what you have promised with your mouth. 
And the last one is Ecclesiastes 5.4 that kind of brings it all together as well. When you vow to God, do not delay paying it. For he has no pleasure in fools. Pay what you vow. So we're talking about like it's serious things that when we say we're going to do something, there is there is a, an act like, okay, we, we promise that we are going to do this action. We are, we are saying, I promise that we are going to commit to this action or change in behavior. And so it says, okay, you shall not swear falsely, perform what you do. But he says, do not take an oath. So I think it's important for us to define first. Okay, what does it mean by swear? What does it mean by Oath, And so when we see sworn, swear, oath in this passage, all of them are interchangeable in the same definition. And that definition is this. So if we're to swear or to sworn something or to oath, it is a promise invoking a divine witness about future acts or behavior, often including penalties for failure within the contents of the oath. So we're saying, okay, I promise I will do something by whatever. I swear by this object, this person, this higher power that I will either commit to this action or I will commit to changing this behavior. And if I don't, then I will face the consequences of not following through on that action. Because here's the thing. The first one is oaths are binding. That's what we got to see from this is that oaths are binding. So we're saying when we promise to do something, we are binding ourselves to this commitment to follow through on whatever it is we're saying. No matter how big or small, we are, we are committing to saying, okay, I'm binding myself to this promise, to this commitment that I'm going to follow through on this. And so oaths are guaranteeing that you'll do this. And when you, follow, when you fail to follow through on your oath, then we are sinning. So when we fail to do this, we're sinning. And so another way to say this, when you break an oath, to break an oath is to break God's law. To break an oath is to break God's law. And there's a few laws actually that we are breaking when we say we're going to do something. We say, okay, I swear by God above that I will do this and we don't follow through in this. Then there is actually a couple that we are breaking. The first one is in Exodus 27 where it says, you shall not use the Lord's name in vain. So we're saying, okay, I I swear by by the higher power, by God himself, that I will do this. And so we don't follow through on this. Now we are using the Lord's name in vain by saying we're going to do something and then don't follow through on it. Or the second one is Exodus 20, 16, where it says you shall not bear false witness. Basically, you shall not lie or give a false account. So if we said, hey, I promise that I'm going to do this and we don't follow through, then we're also lying to that person because we're not following through on this. And we have to be careful with what we say and how, even how we say it because Jesus goes even a step further in a couple cha- or a few chapters down in Matthew 12, 36 to 37, where he says this, that we will have to give an account for every careless word that we speak. That we have to give an account for every careless word we speak, including those where we say, I swear that I will commit to fill in the blank. And we'll have to give an account for that. And we don't follow through, then we're breaking his law. To break an oath is to break the law of God. And so Jesus is against the oath that even says in verse uh, 34, but I say to you, do not take an oath at all. So he says, like, don't even take an oath at all. And he kind of, to give a little backstory of why he says, don't even take any sort of oath beyond this. Is because, okay, in the Old Testament, the Old Testament did permit like vows or oaths or swearing by certain things, but the Jews would exploit it and the Pharisees even took advantage of it as well. And so they would allow oaths to the amount of use and it resulted in kind of two different classes of different oaths that people would have. Those who would swear that they would be committed to, let's say, accuracy or faithfulness. So there'd be that group. Okay, these people are going to commit. They're truly faithful because they're swearing by something. And then these people who do not swear by anything. So it's saying, okay, they're implying that they're not committed whatsoever because they won't swear to anything. So we have the people that say, I'll swear by something. Okay, they must be more faithful. And we have the people that are saying, 
I'm not going to swear to this, but they'll maybe still do something. Okay, they're not as committed. And so there's many that would try to get around this. So they thought, okay, if, I, if I'm using the Lord's name in vain by saying I swear to God, then what they're going to do is, okay, I will use other different objects or other different people to get around actually using God's name. So if I do that, I'm technically not using the Lord's name in vain. That's kind of how they would try to get around it. In fact, many rabbis that were teaching the Jews at this time, they wouldn't even consider it a sin if you broke a vow as long as you didn't make an explicit vow to God. So as long as you didn't explicitly invoke the name of God in your swear, then they would not consider it a sin even if you didn't follow through or break it. And so that's why they would swear by heaven or by earth or by Jerusalem or even their own heads as we see in this. But Jesus tells us that we are to not take an oath at all and explains how all four of these types of oaths are inappropriate to make. And so each one of these, if you look at it, gets higher and higher in scale if you reverse it. So we start with our own head. Okay, not, then we'll do Jerusalem. And if not, then it's the earth we'll swear by. If not, we'll swear by heaven itself. So when we swear on something and us not following through, it's actually destroying the credibility and that object itself. Like, and so we keep hearing it more and more, like I said before, and we keep hearing someone saying, okay, well, I, I swear it's different this time. And a lot of times, what's our response? Yeah, I've heard that before. I've heard you say that before. What's it this time? What are you going to swear by? Like, what higher thing are you going to do this time? And it destroys that credibility. It's like, yeah, I've heard you swear on your mother's grave like 17 times now, and nothing's changed. I've heard you say that over and over and over again, and nothing's changed. So we swear, we're, we're destroying that object that we're swearing by. Because we're saying, by this thing, we're doing that. And so what we're going to look at is each one of these, even though they think they're not directly invoking the name of God, we're going to look at each one still is actually invoking the name of God because God is present in every single one of these. And God is in control of every single one of these. So look at what it says in verse 34. It says, but I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God. So the first one is, okay, this, that you talk about you're swearing by heaven. So you might not say you're swearing to God himself, but heaven is where God resides. That that is where God is. You're swearing by heaven. So God is the one that is in heaven. So you're still swearing by God in that. Where it says, okay, don't even swear by earth, for it is his footstool. So it's saying, okay, even earth, even if you swear by earth, guess what? God is the creator of earth, and that is his footstool. So he is still sovereignly over that. So you're still invoking the name of God by swearing to the earth. The next one will say, okay, I, I don't even swear by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. So that's where Jesus was revealed. So even Jerusalem, that is where Jesus was revealed, and God is God over that city as well. And so you're still invoking the name of God when you say, okay, I swear by, let's say, Jerusalem. And the last one is, don't even swear, don't even take an oath by your own head. Because he explains, for you cannot even make one hair white or black. That we can't even change our own hair, if you will. That God is sovereign over all of these. That each one of these is invoking the name of God because each one of these, God is in control over it, not us. So again, in heaven, the angels are not surrounding and worshiping us but God Almighty. That we talk about the earth, the sun will rise tomorrow and the earth will keep on spinning, not because we're doing that, but because God is the one that is sovereignly doing that. We can't swear about Jerusalem because that is where Jesus was born and God is the one that made all that happen. Even our own very lives, we're not even fully in control over. Think about this, we can't add or subtract years from our life. Or even this, the reason our heart, or our heart takes another beat, the reason we're able to take another breath into our lungs is because of the sovereignty of God. 
And so even though all these might not explicitly use the name of God, they all point back to God because he is the creator and sustainer over everything. So no matter what we try to swear by, we're still invoking the name of God because God is sovereign and in control over everything. So what that shows is this, is we cannot swear by anything because we're not in control over anything. We cannot swear by anything because we are not in control over anything. That we are not the one sovereign over this. God is the one that is sovereign over all of this. So when we swear by something, we are assuming a position that we do not hold. Then we swear by heaven. We are assuming the position that we are the ones on the throne of heaven, not God. We assume that we swear by earth, that we are saying we are the creator and sustainer of earth, not God. Even we swear by Jerusalem or our own city, God is the one that is sovereign over that city. Even we swear by our own lives, God is the one that uniquely and wonderfully made us and know all of our days in advance. We are assuming a position that we don't have when we swear by any other thing. And so we must know that we are not in control. We actually must surrender control of our lives over to God. So let me ask you this. Are there any areas of your life that you are trying to remain in control over? Or do you swear by objects or people that maybe you know? Like that you are guilty of doing that quite often or even on occasion. Or maybe have you been guilty of not keeping an oath that you swore? You said, whether it be like, I swear to you this, or I give this oath, or I vow to you, or I promise I will do this. Or maybe have you been burned by someone who has sworn over and over again, and they never keep their word? A, a sillier way to describe, like, let's say I, I swear to this, that we, that we might not even think about. I might not even think about it. Just a simple way. Something we were talking about earlier is we are talking about how all of us were playing among us last night. And even a simple way is like, okay, who's the imposter? Well, I swear to God it's not me. I swear it's not me. I'm not the one that killed him. It's that guy that killed him. Like, even that is, is as simple, as silly a way as it is, that's still invoking something that we might not realize. When something as simple that could suffice as saying, not me. Not me. Or it could go greater. It, we can go even greater than that. Okay, I, I swear I won't leave this time. I swear I'll change my behavior this time. This is the last time I will do X. This time it's different, I swear to you. I promise you. I vow to you can be difficult when we see these things over and over again we don't see a faithfulness now we don't see a response to that or we just see people that burn us over and over and over again by swearing to these things that's tough and i think what it points to is again that we are not in control but what it points to is what i want us to see is that yes we are not in control but it points to the one who is in control there's only one who can swear an oath and always keep it there's only one who is always faithful There's one who never lies. There's one who is always truthful. And that is Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, the same one that is telling them all these things, he is the one that is sovereign. He is the one that is faithful. He is the one that is truthful. He is the one that has every right to swear by his own name. Why? Because he is God. Think about this. Jesus Christ who's telling them all these things. He actually has the right to swear by heaven or earth or Jerusalem or even human beings themselves. Because he is the one that is a creator and sustainer over all these different things. He is the one who keeps every promise. And that's so encouraging for us in a world where we live in a world of broken promises. Where we live in a world where people truly hurt us by by swearing they'll change different things. And they don't. 
and how that can hurt and sting and leave pain and bitterness. But we can look at Christ and say, okay, he is the one that is forever faithful. In fact, here's just a small example of this. In Hebrews 6, 13, it says, For when God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no one greater by whom to swear, he swore by himself. So think about this. When God was telling Abraham, hey, I'm going to make you the father of many nations. Your, your offspring are going to be greater than the sands of the sea and the stars in the sky. And he said, you know what? I swear to you, and he had no other higher name, I swear to you by my name. God says, I swear by my own name that I will make this happen. And think about this. God swore an oath, and he faithfully kept it. The reason we know he faithfully kept it is because that promise is shown to be kept by Jesus Christ himself. The very one who is standing before them, standing before the disciples at this time, telling them about these truths. That we see this in it. God is able to swear and make oaths because his character is unchanging. He doesn't bear false witness because he cannot lie. He's not using the Lord's name in vain because he is the Lord. He is the one who is sovereignly in control over heaven, earth, Jerusalem, people, everything. So when God makes a vow, a promise, an oath, whatever you name it, we can trust him to be faithful because he cannot use his own name in vain. He cannot bear false witness and he cannot break a promise. Think about this. Jesus Christ is eternally faithful because he is God. Think about this. He forgives us of all of our sins every time that we try to be in control of our lives. He gives us the grace to rest in his sovereignty and trust him. And the promises of God that we see in Scripture, we can rest in because that we are in Christ. That if we are in Christ, every time we see these promises, we can trust and rest in them, knowing that God is going to follow through on these promises because He is faithful. He is one that will not break His oaths or vows or promises. In fact, I just want us to look at just a few different promises that we have, that if we have repented of our sins and believed in Christ, and if we are a follower of Christ and in Him, here is just a few promises that we get to have. In Matthew eleven twenty-eight 28 through 30, Jesus says, Hey, come to me, all who are weary and heavy burdened, and I will give you rest. We just talked about earlier how we are worn out and stressed and tired. And if we come to Christ, if we are in Christ, then we will, we will get rest. Or in John 10, 27 through 30, like I said earlier, that we are given eternal life, that we never perish, that no one can snatch us out of the hand of our heavenly father. Why? Because we are in Jesus Christ. Or Romans 8, 1, where it says, therefore, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So every time we feel guilty about our sin. Yes, we should repent of that sin, but also know that there's no condemnation for those that are in Jesus Christ. Or Colossians 1, 13 through 14, where it talks about we have been delivered from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light, that we have redemption and forgiveness for our sins. And we, not only that, not only have we been forgiven of our sins and given redemption and delivered from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light, that we are given citizenship in heaven with all the privileges that come with it. That we're a kingdom of the citizen, or we're, we're a citizen of the kingdom of God and get to enjoy all the benefits that come with that. Why? Because we are in Jesus Christ. Or this one is great. Romans 8, 15 through 17, where it says, We have received the spirit of adoption. That we have been adopted into the family of God. And we can cry out, Abba, Father. And we are tired and worn and weary. That we can cry out to God, just Father need you and he is faithful to listen and respond to us because he is faithful 
for this one, John 6, 37, where it says, All whom the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. That those that are in Christ, when we come to Christ, when we run sprinting to Christ for a need for him, when we are in Christ, it says he will never cast us out. All of this is only possible, not because of our faithfulness, because we're fallen sinful human beings. We're prone to want to be unfaithful or break those promises. It's because of the faithfulness of Christ. All this is promised to those who are in Christ. We don't earn any of this because of how faithful or unfaithful we are. Because of how, it's only because of how faithful Jesus Christ is and how he always keeps his promises. So I want to see this. No matter how many times we are unfaithful, Christ is eternally faithful. No matter how many times that we are unfaithful, Christ is eternally faithful. So if we are in Jesus Christ, no matter how many times we fall, he is there to pick us back up again. If we are in Jesus Christ, no matter how many times we sin, there is grace abounding for that sin. There is mercy for that sin. No matter how many times we feel like we've hit rock bottom, he is always present. He will meet us there at rock bottom. No matter how far we feel like we are away from God, his grace is enough to bridge the gap between us and him. He is faithful to keep his promises. So we know when we are in Jesus Christ, we see these promises that are promised to those who are in Christ. We can be faithful. We can know that Christ is faithful to live those out because we've seen how faithful he's been throughout all of scripture. So he is ultimately in control. That We are not to swear by anything else because we understand we are not in control over any of those things. That he is ultimately in control. And we see how faithful Jesus is. We see how he is in control. We will surrender control over our lives and place our faith in him. And we're able to do that. We surrender control over our lives. Know that we are not in control over anything. We surrender it to him knowing he is faithful and sovereign over everything. We'll be able to live out this second truth of this, which is this. Pursuing Christ leads to a trustworthy life. Pursuing Christ leads to a trustworthy life. This is what it says in verse 37. So he's talking about, okay, don't take any oaths at all. Don't, don't swear by heaven. Don't swear by earth. Don't swear by Jerusalem. Don't even take any oaths on your head. And then he explains this in verse 37. Let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. So Jesus instead explains how we ought to be how we're not to give our oath, explains how it ought to be. It even says that in Deuteronomy 23:22 that if we refrain from swearing an oath, that we're not guilty of sin. Instead, Jesus says that what we should say is just simply yes or no. That if people ask us to do something or anything else like that, we should be able to simply say yes or no. That what that means is this, is that our yes and no should be enough. That us simply saying yes or no should be good enough. It should be sufficient. It should suffice as an answer. Then when someone asks us if we're able to do something or follow through on something, we don't have to say, oh, I swear by this, I will. It should simply be able to say yes or no, and people are able to trust that. We shouldn't need to add anything else to assure people of that. In fact, in Proverbs 10, 19, it says this, when words are many, transgression is not lacking, but whoever restrains his lips is prudent. So we start swearing by more and more and higher and higher things, then we get into a lot more trouble and lose a lot more credibility. When we're able to simply say yes or no on something and follow through on that, that should be enough. 
We start adding more and more words like, okay, I, okay, I swear by this side of the other or I'll do this side of the other. We start adding more and more. We tend to get a lot more and more in trouble with that. The reason why is we take our words seriously and how we word stuff, like I said earlier, is this. Words reveal the content of one's heart. Words reveal the content of one's heart. In fact, in Luke 6.45, it describes it like this. The good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good. And the evil person out of his evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. So our words and actions reveal the true makeup, the true posture of our heart. If our hearts are daily in pursuit of Christ, then our words and actions will reveal a life that has been transformed and daily being transformed by Christ. The more we pursue Christ and see how faithful he is, then we will, he will work in us to continue to be more and more conformed into his image and be faithful to Christ. So that's... This. Forget that one? Okay. The other one is this, is that the more we pursue Christ, the more we'll be faithful to Christ and others. The more we pursue Christ, the more we'll be faithful to Christ and others. And so Matthew 22, 37 through 40 sums this up really well. That is the greatest commandment that Jesus says, where you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is that you'll love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus obeyed this perfectly. He was faithful to this command of loving God with all that he had and loving his neighbor as himself. And so the more we follow after Christ, the more we'll see how Christ is faithfulness. The more we'll love Christ, the more we'll just see how amazing he is. And we'll be able to love God with everything we have because we've seen how faithful he is. And that'll lead us to being able to love others. Love others that Jesus died for, that Jesus created, that Jesus made in his own image. We'll be able to love them better. That we'll be able to be faithful to them as well. Because here's the thing. Christians ought to be the most faithful people because we have seen and experienced the greatest faithfulness ever known in the person and work of Jesus Christ. That there's someone that should be truly faithful, that should truly be able to say yes or no, that truly should be able to be trustworthy. It is Christians. Why? Because we have experienced the greatest faithfulness ever known because of Jesus Christ. That no matter how many times we fall, Jesus is there. No matter how many times we sin, Jesus is there to forgive. He is faithful to the very end. In fact, there is, a, uh, there is a quote that I, that I use often from a, uh, a dear pastor mentor of mine where he says, we should be walking so closely with Christ that it just spills out and overflows out of our lives and impacts and affects all those around us. That we should be walking so closely with Christ. We are so walking closely with Christ that it just naturally springs up and overflows out of our life, spills out over every facet of our lives. And affects and impacts those around us. So let me ask you this. Let me think about this. Do your words carry weight? Do people trust you? If, if I were to ask your friends, your family, your teammates, your coworkers, if you were trustworthy, what do you think they would say? Or I'll go a step further. If I were to ask your friends, family, teammates, coworkers, all those different people, what is like considered, what is considered the most important thing in your life based off your words and actions? What do you think they would say? Are you daily pursuing Christ? What would people say that you remain, would people say that you remain the same the rest of the week as you do on Sunday and Wednesday? Here's the thing, all of this is only possible by the grace of Christ. We must look to him, surrender to him, watch him and follow his example. 
That guess what? Even if we're not consistent in that and we feel guilty and convicted of that, Christ is still faithful to forgive us of that. Now remember, for those who are in Christ, there is no more condemnation for those that are in Christ. In fact, in a, a perfect example I want to give for this about faithfulness and someone that you can trust, you don't have to worry about them swearing, is a dear, another dear pastor mentor friend of mine. I would consider my life that, that he is the biggest Paul in my life, and I'm his Timothy. We always joke that I'm his forever intern, and that is the student pastor of my last church, Pastor Mark Young. And uh, it made me think of this because it actually is, is uh, Pastor Appreciation Month, and I want to make sure I sent him a text like, to appreciate him because I saw how faithful he was in every aspect of his life. And so I didn't just see him on Wednesday night when he preached or on Sunday morning when he was done with the stage. I saw him behind the scenes. I saw him during the week when we were stuck in the office taking care of stuff. I was able to go to his house so many times for dinner or whatever else. We went out to lunch many times, whether it be just with him or it was with his wife and children. He was the same everywhere. In the good and the bad. I saw, we saw each other at our very best and our very worst. I saw how faithful he was throughout all of it, how he pursued Christ in every single aspect of his life. And that reflected in his words and his actions. I saw how he loved his wife so well and taught his children so well and led his family so well. I saw how he would lead the students in that ministry so well. I saw how he would do all this because he would daily spend time with Christ, that he would make sure nothing else got in the way, that he would spend time with Christ. And that reflected that he was such a humble man throughout all of it. And so because of that, I saw how consistent he was. Not perfect, because none of us are perfect. But I saw how consistent he was to this. And because he was consistent and always kept Christ at the center, that when he would give me, let's say, advice or give me ideas on certain things, I would listen to them. Why? Because he built that credibility. He didn't have to say, I, I swear to you, you can trust me on this. He didn't have to say that. Why? Because he was daily pursuing Christ and showed that through his life. He showed that daily through his daily pursuit of Christ. It wasn't because of how awesome he is, but it's because of how awesome, uh, because of how the awesome God that he was pursuing. Because he showed me Christ in every aspect, and that showed how faithful he was that I could trust him in these things. And so that is something that we should be as a follower of Christ. Because so our yes and our no ought to be enough. Because if we have a heart that is right with God, then we will reflect that in our character, in the substance of our life. We'll be able to show that through the way we live our life, from the actions we have, that we are trustworthy because of the trustworthiness of Christ. That we will give our words weight toward just a simple yes or no will suffice. That people will see our lives and say, now that person is trustworthy. That person I can go to. Whether it be a believer or unbeliever, saying like, I might have a lot going on, but that is a person I know I can go to and ask for prayer about stuff. Or if I need something to help, like if I need someone to help me move or take care of stuff, or I need someone there for me in a pinch, that's the person. That should be how it should be reflected in our life. Because why does going, he says, don't even just have your yes or no be enough. So why does going beyond a yes or no bad? Because he says, look, make sure what you say be simply yes or no. And at the very end, anything more than this comes from evil. Why is that evil? Because it's going back to, okay, we're swearing by heaven or earth or Jerusalem or or human beings. That we're swearing by something else. That we're trying to, again, assume control over something. And it's the ability to, let's say, destroy things which only God can destroy. That only God can control. That only God can sustain. In fact, the reason it says it comes from evil, some translations say it comes from the evil one. 
The evil one meaning Satan himself because Satan tries to assume that same position that he is sovereign over the universe when in fact he is not sovereign over the universe. It is God who is sovereign over the universe and allows Satan to prowl around. And so we do this as harsh as it sounds. When we swear by any object or person, we are assuming the same position as Satan does. That, that, we are, that we are assuming that we are sovereign over different aspects of the universe, and we are not. And so we have to realize, okay, no, we are no longer doing that because this should not be the position of someone who is kingdom-minded. But this is not the position of someone who is pursuing Christ or a follower of Christ because we no longer follow Satan and his ways. We're no longer, as Ephesians 2, 1 through 3 says, we're, not, we're no longer dead in our sins. We're no longer following the prince of the power of the air. We're no longer following the philosophy of this world. Instead, we have been made alive in Christ. We've been delivered into the kingdom of light. We become a child of God as we saw with those promises. And that we are to receive from being Christ Jesus and we're to pursue that. We're no longer to see that we are in control, but we're to surrender control to life and have him rule and reign in our lives. That we see because of the sin that is in our hearts, we are prone to be unfaithful. We're prone to break those promises. And do we do what we believe is best? So we see the faithfulness of Christ. We see it especially in the cross. That is the epitome of the faithfulness of Christ. Of how he is faithful to the very end. And we see that in the cross of Jesus Christ. That's where we see his faithfulness. So we repent of that sin and give it to Christ and allow Christ to work in our hearts. We have Christ work in our hearts that humbles us. It shows us how much we don't deserve. How many times we sin against our loving Father. But at the same time, it also shows us how faithful Christ is. And how much he loves us. His love works on our lives and it produces a humility and a trustworthiness. And that will be shown through our words and through our actions. And people will take notice of that. We can be faithful because of the faithfulness of Christ. This faithfulness is then able to point people to the one who is eternally faithful, which is Jesus Christ. So our lives should be so committed to him, so living in pursuit of him. That we don't have to swear about anything else. That people see for who we are. People see Christ living and ruling and reigning and working in and through us. That is what they should see. We don't have to swear about anything else because we trust in the sovereignty of God. In fact, that's the closing thing I want you, I just want you to think about this. Are you resting in the sovereignty of God? Are you daily pursuing Christ? Have you experienced this faithfulness of Christ? Do your words carry weight, or do you always want to add, let's say, stipulations to it? Are you currently running back to, let's say, okay, I swear this will change? Because the only way that we will change is not by trying to vow. It's not by trying more for Christ. It's only by surrendering more of our life to Christ that we'll be able to change. Allowing him to work in our lives, to change you and become more faithful to God. And we do that, we're able to be even more kingdom-minded on this. Let's pray. Dear God, we thank you just for who you are. We thank you for the faithfulness of Christ. We thank you just for how he has been faithful to the very end. And we see that in the cross where he died for all of our sins for all of time. That we're in Christ. We are no longer condemned. We have forgiveness of sins. We've been adopted into your family as sons and daughters of the king of the universe. And we can cry out, Abba, Father, So would you help us surrender more of our life over to you? Would you help us surrender all of this over to your life and just let Christ rule and reign in our lives, that he will be the one people see, that we will be trustworthy, not because of us, because they see Christ working in and through us. 
It's only possible by your grace that we're able to work and strive for this. That we're able to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. So would you help us with that? Thank you for all that you do and all that you continue to do and all that you're going to do. And all of it is in the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's in his holy name we pray. Amen.